Good morning, everybody. I've been uh, working here a couple of days a week for the last three weeks, and I'm really enjoying myself, so thank you all very much for this opportunity. I've especially enjoyed going along to some of the life groups, meeting people and bringing a Bible study. And if you go to a life group and you'd like me to come along to that, it would be helpful if you could let me know in the next week or ten days so that I can book that in. I've recently been invited to the PUSH group, P-U-S-H. I'm thinking they may have to have some very influential people in that particular group because they're the only life group that are advertised on the church's front door. I thank you. (laughs) PUSH. Let's pray together. Yeah. I could sense there was another group of people there that needed just a little bit of help with that one. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who helps us lift our hearts in praise to Jesus. May you open our hearts to receive your word and enlighten our minds that our lives might glorify Jesus Christ. Amen. If you have your Bibles or your phones, please turn to John chapter 3. Which I'll read shortly. I'm very fortunate... I was born into a loving family. I had, and still have, great parents. But no one can give what they don't have themselves. And my parents didn't have a Christian faith. When I became a Christian in my mid-twenties, it took me six months to pluck up the courage to tell my parents... I worried how they might respond. Would they think me mad? Would they fear I had joined some weird cult? Might they feel threatened or judged in some way? After much prayer and preparation in order to answer all the questions they would have, I said, Mum and Dad, I have something to tell you. Now, before I go on any further, I would just like to tell any younger people here that you should never, ever begin a conversation with your parent by saying, Mum and Dad, I have got something to tell you. Because before the first word is out of your mouth, they are imagining all sorts of disasters that have befallen you. They're thinking you've got some deadly disease. Or, worst of all, that you've dented the family car. (laughs) Mum and Dad, I said, I've got something to tell you. I've become a Christian. Dad said nothing. And Mum said, that's nice, dear. And we carried on watching the telly. (laughs) 
Well, 35 years later, my mum, my dad, my sister, my brother still think it's nice that I'm a Christian, but they have not come to faith themselves, nor have our children. Though raised in a Christian family, and though surrounded and supported by a loving church family, they have not come to faith yet either. My parents are elderly, set in their ways, hold their own beliefs, and that belief does not include a belief in Jesus Christ as the saviour of the world. Will that ever change? I don't know. Over the years, I've had seasons of great optimism. My hope has shone brightly. My prayers have been regular and fervent and expectant. But there have been other times when I've been very pessimistic. Despair has clouded hope. And my prayers have dried up. Sometimes, I've been secretly annoyed with them. (laughs) That they don't believe. Perhaps you can identify with me. And you know someone, maybe someone dear to you, who would not say they are a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe family or friends, might be a neighbour, a colleague. They think it's perhaps nice that you do. Or maybe they're just indifferent that you're a believer. Or maybe they're somewhat hostile towards you, but they themselves do not believe. And maybe there are times when you find it hard to believe that they will ever believe. That they can change. In John chapter 3, we find a passage that offers us reason for hope. Hope that people can change. Here is hope that can inspire our witness and our prayers. And I would just like to point out that 80% of this sermon is going to be on the first couple of points, and then we're just going to look briefly at the last part. So if after 20 minutes you think, my goodness, we're not even halfway through the notes here, don't panic, we're going to focus on the first part. So, I'm going to read John chapter 3, verses 1 to 11 to start with. John 3, beginning at verse 1. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Truly, truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I tell you, No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again or born from above. 
The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. And now chapter 4, beginning at verse 5. Chapter 4, verse 5. So Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of the ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Verse 16. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Verse 39 at the end of the conversation. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged Jesus to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. We have here reasons for hope that everyone, those on your mind and heart, can know the life-changing love of God. And the first reason for that hope is this, and this is on your sheet, that God's love encompasses everyone. It's hard to imagine, is it not? Two more different people than Nicodemus the Pharisee and the woman from Samaria, who from now on I'm going to call Sam for short, Sam from Samaria. Geographically, Nicodemus and Sam lived about 30 miles apart. Spiritually and morally, they were a million miles apart, a world apart. On one side of the world is Nicodemus, and on the other side of the world, the most possible greatest distance is Sam. Now, when Jesus was born, there were about maybe four to five million Jews. Four to five million. 
And Nicodemus was one in a million. One of the most prominent and important Jews in the entire nation, out of all those millions. He was one of the 70 members of the Sanhedrin, the ruling religious Jewish government. Nicodemus kept the law. He attended the festivals. He made all the sacrifices. He worshipped at the temple in Jerusalem. He would have been wealthy, important and powerful. When he walked down the street, people made way for Nicodemus. He knew the scriptures. He would have memorized the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, word for word. And it's quite probable that Nicodemus had memorized the entire Old Testament. Imagine that. Word for word, the entire Old Testament. Jesus doesn't call him a rabbi here. He says, you are the teacher in Israel. You are Israel's teacher. All those millions. He would not even have glanced at a woman in a street. He'd never put a foot in Samaria, which he considered an unclean land full of apostates. And if his worst nightmare came true, and he had spotted Sam (laughs) in the distance, he would have lifted up his robe, screamed and run in the opposite direction, and jumped in a bath and scrubbed himself for a week, for even coming within a mile of a woman like Sam. As a true son of Abraham, as Israel's teacher, he would have been considered by the Jewish nation to be right at the head of the queue to enter into the kingdom of God when the Messiah came. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, you can't even see the kingdom of God. In chapter 4, on the other side of the page in my Bible, but on the other side of the world to Nicodemus, is Sam. A Samaritan who the Jews considered unclean. For historical reasons, their ancestors had intermarried with Gentiles. Their theology was considered to be dodgy at best, and at worst, completely wrong. And on top of all that, Sam had had five husbands and was now living with a man something that was unthinkable to a Jew. Nicodemus was head of the queue to enter the kingdom of God. Sam wouldn't have been considered to be at the back of the queue. She would have considered not to be in the queue at all. No way could she ever enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus had time for both of them. Jesus spent time with both of them. Jesus spoke to both of them because Jesus loved Nicodemus and Jesus loved Sam. God's love encompasses everyone. In between Nicodemus in chapter 3 and Sam in chapter 4 is this verse. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn Sam, to condemn the world, but that they might believe and be saved. That's why John puts chapter 3, Nicodemus, chapter 4, the Samaritan woman, and in the middle, God so loved the world. God's love encompasses everyone. And to drive the point home, uh, have a look at chapter 4, verse 42. At the end of the conversation, after Nicodemus, after the conversation with Sam, we read, we know this man really is the saviour of the world. God's love encompasses everyone. And that means that God's love encompasses your family your friend, your neighbour, your colleague. They have not been forgotten. They have not been overlooked by God. Jesus loves them. Jesus died for the world. He died for your family. My mum, dad, brother, sister, son and daughter. And God has in his hand an invitation with their name written on it. And it's written in the blood of his only son. That invitation is written in the blood of Jesus. Do you think that God is going to overlook anyone? Nicodemus or Sam? So whether it's in the heat of the noon or the cool of the night, God speaks. So be encouraged. Have hope. God's love encompasses everyone. There's an invitation with your loved one's name written on it in the hand and heart of God. And God, the postman, is at work. Between them, Nicodemus and a Samaritan woman, they reveal the breadth of God's love, or something of the breadth of God's love, the scope of God's grace, And the wonder of the gospel, which is for all. Jesus is the saviour of the whole world. So, our first reason for hope is that God's love encompasses everyone. And our second reason for hope is that God's power can change anyone. God's power, the Holy Spirit, can change anyone. John 1 verse 4. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. In John's Gospel... Darkness and night often signifies wickedness and spiritual blindness. Darkness and night in John's Gospel can signify wickedness and spiritual blindness. For instance, John 13 verse 30, we read, As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. Wickedness. John 3 verse 2, 
Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Not signifying wickedness, but spiritual blindness. You cannot even see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, though stood before the light of the world, could not see. He was spiritually blind. And neither can my family or yours see. We are spiritually blind. We are born that way. As a result of the work of sin and Satan, people are blinded to the truth of the gospel and the glory of Jesus Christ. I'm going to try and remember that next time I feel cross with them. They can't see. They cannot see. Let's be sad, but let's not be mad at them. Let's be sad for them, but there's no point in being mad at them. They cannot see the truth of the gospel or the glory of Jesus Christ. In verse 4, Nicodemus says, Born again? How can this be? How can he possibly undergo such a drastic change in his life? He's saturated from birth in Jewish belief and behavior. All his life he has believed he would enter into the kingdom of God by right, on account of his birth as a Jew. He has been scrupulous in keeping the law. How could he Abandon these deep-rooted beliefs that he has. How could he leave all that behind and start a new life? It doesn't seem possible. A life so new, it's like being born again. A man or a woman, he reasons, can no more do that than enter into their mother's womb and be born again. Jesus doesn't argue with him. Jesus would agree with him. Such radical change is impossible. That is impossible for anyone to bring about in their own life, by their own efforts. But what's impossible for man, what's impossible for man, is possible with God. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but it's the spirit that gives birth to to spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can bring about the miracle that is like a second birth and be born again or born from above into the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus should know this. He knows his scriptures. He should know Ezekiel 36 which says, I will give you, God says, a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will put my spirit within you. And what do we get in chapter 37 of Ezekiel? The valley of the bones. Where God speaks to these dead bones. that can't do anything, let alone see. And he says, I will make the wind blow upon them. I will make my spirit come. I will breathe upon them. And that which is dead will come to life and live. My friend, those that you and I care for cannot change themselves. And you and I can't change them either. 
Can they implant within themselves the new heart? No. We didn't bring about our first birth. And we cannot bring about our second birth into the kingdom of God. But God can. Verse 8. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Where God is, there is hope. And God is with your family, your friends, your neighbour, your colleague. There is hope. For the love of God encompasses everyone. And the power of God can change anyone. We all know that the weather was hot when Jesus met Sam at noon by the well. Now we know that the wind was blowing as well, don't we? And over the town of Sica, the Holy Spirit was at work with invitations which were being delivered to the most unlikely people. God's love encompasses everyone. God can change anyone. Jesus is the saviour of the world. And I'd like to invite David Molden now, just to come up, just for a moment, and just share a story with us. Thank you, David. Our preacher's namesake, my brother Chris, uh, five and a half years younger than myself, and we prayed for him for decades, literally. And he was seriously ill for many, many years, in and out of hospital. And at one point, he was told he didn't have long to live, and we went to visit him and offered to pray for him. He said, I'm not going down that route. A short while later, he was in conversation with my wife, Linda. And she said, you know, Chris, before you die, you need to get right with God. His response, there's no such person. The end of February, early March, he was again in hospital. And at this point, unbeknown to any of us, he asked to see the hospital chaplain. Now, this man was a retired CV man in his 70, CV vicar, and he was despondent. He was about to give up because he thought his ministry was flat, it was going nowhere. And my brother asked to see him. And he asked if he could commit his life to the Lord, and he did so there and then with that hospital chaplain. On March the 4th of this year, it was our 50th wedding anniversary. Some of you remember that. I did, which was a miracle. <laughs> and uh, on March the 6th, we had another great-grandchild born into the family. And that weekend was a tremendous weekend. Because on March the 5th, between our wedding anniversary and a new birth, my brother, Chris, was called home. And went to be with his Lord. Do not doubt that the wind can blow on your family and your friends. Two reasons for hope God's love, which encompasses everyone. 
and God's power that can change anyone. Have we got nothing to do then? Well, of course we have. What's our role in all this? Well, as you can see from your sheet, we are called to love people. Nicodemus came to Jesus because he believed that God was with Jesus. That's what it says in verse 2. That's why Nicodemus was interested in Jesus. He felt God was with him. And if our lives are to attract people to Jesus, people must believe that God is with us. They need to see signs of God's love in our lives. That's the greatest sign of all. God's love. Of course, that sign has to be visible. I had to go and visit a family recently who lived out down a country road. And I said, how will I find you? They said, don't worry, there's a sign outside with the name of the house on it. So I set off and it was dark and I went up and down this road four or five times. Uh, I did find it eventually, but the problem was they had put a sign up, but they had allowed a tree to grow its branches over the front of it. And the sign was obscured. The sign was there, but you couldn't see it. I wonder how easily the sign of love can be seen in our lives and whether a spot of pruning might not be needed in our lives. How can you and I help people to believe in Jesus? Love them. For love is patient, love is kind, and love never, ever gives up. Secondly, how can we help people come to know Christ? Share the gospel. The Bible says, how can people believe if they don't hear? And how can they hear unless you tell them the good news? Faith comes from hearing the word. Let me repeat that. Faith comes from hearing the word. Jesus spoke the word of God to Nicodemus and spoke the word of God to Sam. And if you sometimes find it hard to talk to people, especially those closest to you about Jesus, then you are not alone. We all find it hard. And all I can say at this time is that I'm sure we can find ways to help and encourage one another to do that, especially in the light of an Alpha course that we hope to be doing early next year. Did Nicodemus come to faith? Well, you can have a look another time at John 19, verse 38 to 42. John 19, 38 to 42, where... Nicodemus and a friend looked after the body of Jesus Christ. Did he come to faith? We are to love people, share the gospel with people, and pray for them. Pray that the wind might blow upon them. Pray for the Holy Spirit, the power of God to breathe life into them. In chapter 16 of John's Gospel, Jesus tells us more about the work of the Holy Spirit. He's the wind that blows, but what he does in particular, and I put the three things on the sheet there that I'll only mention now, it is the Spirit alone who can convict people of their sin of their need of a saviour. It's the Holy Spirit alone that can convince people of the truth of Jesus Christ, the saviour of the world. And it's the Holy Spirit alone who can convert them 
bring about this second birth, this spiritual birth into the kingdom of God. We must love, share and pray. So can a person really change? Yes. Because God's love encompasses everyone. God's power can change anyone. And may that hope inspire us to love, to witness, and to pray. For nothing is impossible with God. And now, the letter. Dear Nico, this is the letter that God wrote to Nicodemus. Later that evening, when he got home from Jesus, he found it on his welcome doormat. It says, Dear Nico, I hope you don't mind me calling you Nico, but I'm thinking that you and I are getting really close. Indeed, I'm sure you're going to be family pretty soon. Anyway, Nico, I just want to say thank you in advance for the bravery you will show in caring for my son's body. It will be much appreciated, not only by me, but believe it or not, millions of people. Also, I know you've just had a chat with my son Jesus and you're a bit confused about matters. Please don't think that this talk of being born again and needing a brand new life means that your present life is of no value. Far from it. I value your study of the scriptures. Let me just repeat that. I value your study of the scriptures. That's great. And so is your passion for keeping my laws and your desire to be holy. All wonderful stuff. But none of it deals with the problem of sin, which separates you and me. In fact, everyone from me, a holy God. You see, the heart of the problem is the human heart, which is tainted by sin, also proud and rebellious. And no man can change their own heart. The good news is I can, and that's what I was saying through the prophet Ezekiel. I will give you my spirit, I will give you a new heart. I will breathe life into you. And there's more good news as well. I promise that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Even a Samaritan woman. Have faith. Repent and believe in Jesus. And finally, and this will make you laugh, many years from now, a chap called Chris Young Incidentally, a particularly handsome man. <laughs> Not if the letter. I, I didn't want to say that, to be honest. We'll be talking about you to loads of Gentiles. And your life, Mr. Jew par excellent, is going to help Gentiles to enter the kingdom of God. Because, you know, I really do love everyone. And I can change anyone. Yours truly, truly, God.